Hello everyone! Before we get today's episode going, I have a major announcement for you guys. I, yours truly, have opened a brand new merch shop! To be honest with you guys, I was personally not happy with spring, the experience, the quality of the clothing and stuff like that. After hearing so many good words from so many other people, I decided to bring everything from the spring shop over to Fourth Wall! Fourth Wall will now be the new home for the Postmodern Art Podcast Shop. You can go there today and see a wide range of incredible shirts that we've had up there before, such as the logo, the Pride Collection, as done by Eldritch Grandpa and Mine and Roll Tears, the wonderful retro design, as done by Roya Shahidi, uh, the incredible tag design, done by the incredible Aiden Art. And speaking of Aiden Art, thanks to him, we have two new designs that you can buy right now. The first being this cute little little sock where you can see a little 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 money bags on your on your ankle, little cute little adorable. Just look at the little thing. I I I, I love him. It, it's wonderful. But also, more importantly, if you guys pay attention to me on Twitter, a few months back I did a little contest and I did a little meme that was basically reminiscent of that classic Sonic pose of the Alone on a Friday Night thing. Uh, well, I decided to do my own version of that, which Aiden did. And now with this new shop, I decided, hey, let's slap that on a shirt. It looks absolutely incredible. All the shirts are using comfort color shirts, which are absolutely soft and amazing. I can attest to that after buying former guest Feral Starweaver's shirt. Um, I, I could not get enough of his shirt. He was telling me so many wonderful things about Fourth Wall. So many other people were talking about Fourth Wall. So I knew I just had to go there in order to sell my merch. You can go to the link down in the description below to find the link for that merch shop, or you can type post-modern-art-podcast-shop.fourthwall.com. You might want to go to that link in the description below. It's so much easier. And just to celebrate the brand new opening of the shop, if you use code NEWSHOP in checkout, you'll get an additional 10% off your order today. This deal will only be limited throughout the month of June. Sincerely, guys, this merch really does mean a lot to me. Uh, the artists that made this stuff did an absolutely sensational job, especially uh, the ones I listed before, and Tipsy J Hearts for providing, obviously, the OG Mr. Moneybags design. And it also means a lot to me to give back to both the community and to the artists as well, with half of the profits going back to the artists that made the merch in the first place, and then for all the ones in the Pride Collection, all the profits that I make from that will go directly to charities such as Lambda Literary and the Trans Lifeline. So any love and support that you can show with this podcast, any merch that you guys buy uh, to really help get the name out there more and to really help grow this community more, you'll know how much it would mean the world to me if you go to the merch shop today. Check the link in the description below or go to post-modern-art-podcast-shop.fourthwall.com. Just go to the link in the description below. It'll be so much easier. Hello, everyone, and welcome. To the Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Ragland, 
And for today's conversation, well... Yeah, 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 Post, let me just snatch this intro from you. Today's guest is yours truly, Pinch Raccoon, a dashing, daring, and dare I say devious thief. I had a great time on this podcast today, and I had a great time in this conversation. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as I do, Post will have my links in the description below, so feel free to show some support, please. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, subscribe, or follow on whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Leave five stars wherever you can. I'm sure Post will enjoy it. If you want to support him a bit more, check out the new merch shop he's opened. A lot of stunning designs up there. Might have to snatch one for me. And maybe show some love on Patreon as well. For as little as $1 a month, you can get behind-the-scenes content, bonus episodes, so much for your buck. Seriously. But now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. By the way, I wanted oh, to ask yeah. like super duper quickly, oh. um, because I know you've shown support for the podcast before anyway, and I, I cannot tell you how much I really do love and appreciate it. How did you first hear about the podcast in the first place? Was it the multi Oil episode? I believe it was. Okay. I believe it was, yes. Okay. I, I do I do think it was the episode with Moel on it. Which was a really um, good episode. <laughs> it was a very, very solid episode. Big shoes to fill here, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> you, you don't have to fill the shoes. You just have to bring your own pair and just make yeah, it, you know, make yeah. it, you know, I'm not going to say oh, make I get it, you. <laughs> just make I get yourself you. at she, home. She just gave a, yeah, of course. She just gave a hell of an interview, though. So just want to, you know, credit where credit's due. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no. Uh, that, I think that was the first episode that I saw. Um I think I maybe heard about it like once from someone within Moel's circle. Okay. Before that, but then like the first one that I got direct exposure to and watched was uh was the the, the Moel episode. That's what I figured cuz I think that was also around that time to where I actually first heard about you whenever Moel, <laughs> because because around that time if I remember correctly Moel had hopped on to OST like not too long after that interview or about that time when that interview happened. I remember that was I yeah. Believe, I believe that was the first stream that I watched of yours. So it was like that was like what late summer last year, uh, right? Yeah, it seems about right. Somewhere around that time, late uh, maybe like August ish. I want to say maybe because um, she was she came on my show. She came on she came on OST in September. It was the first time I believe. Okay, because if, if I remember correctly, her episode is episode ninety three, and we're. This and Sasha's episode Damn. that just and Sasha, well Sasha's episode that just premiered is 128. So do like simple math or whatnot. You know, 30 weeks bef- past that or whatnot. Yeah, it's around that same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But either way, yeah. No, uh, I I've said it before, but sincerely, thank you for the love and support you give to the podcast, and thank of you for and, and thank you for taking the time to be here today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, oh, of course. I if I believe in it, I'll support it. That's fine. Well, I'm glad you put a lot of belief in it because I'm trying to give that belief right back to you. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Pitch, before we really get going, I must ask the icebreaker question of the podcast, if I may. Let's say, oh you, get go, let's say you get to go to a desert island on your own accord. It is just you, alone with your thoughts. You get to kick back, relax, breathe, get to truly enjoy yourself for a little bit. With accommodations, you're not stranded. It's more like your own personal paradise away from mm-hmm. everything. Okay. Um, to help make sure you, you know, don't go completely insane on this island, you can bring one piece of media and one piece of art with you to help with whatever kind of vibe or headspace you want while you're relaxing on your own little personal mm. island. If given this opportunity, what would that one piece be? 
I guess in this case, define media and define art. Like, what are we counting them as in what this e- case? Whatever you define as media or art. Is what <laughs> like, Interesting. Like, you know, obviously uh, there's the standard things that people uh, call whenever it comes to, like, media. You know, TV shows, films, you know, literature, stuff like that. You know, video mm-hmm. games, I easily kept that as media. And I obviously consider, like, most media as an art form in one way or another. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever you consider under that umbrella, that that is your domain to pick from. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't actually expecting to kind of get to this point already, but I do kind of consider everything to be art in a way. So I okay. guess I just have two <laughs> I have two pieces of art if I wish. Okay. So all right. Hmm. That's that's an that that's a now this is assuming, right, whatever the whatever the means by which to facilitate using this piece of art should you have to interact with it are fulfilled. Yes, uh, right? like, like, like I said, yeah. this place has accommodations. It's not like I'm gonna leave you with a, yeah. uh, a movie reel but no way to watch it. Like <laughs> Yeah, right. Um What would I end up doing on this island? I'm asking that to myself. This is kind yeah. of a rhetorical. Um what would I end up doing there? Um, I guess, you know, uh, I'd want something time consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as much as it's tough to say, I'd probably say, uh, assuming that the accommodations are there, Destiny 2. Okay. Uh, okay. Because that is the game that I have a bazillion hours in. And I mean, if, if I need to kill time there is no better time killer to me that is Uh, is fair that is fair like i i i'm genuinely curious because like i was curious with destiny back whenever it first dropped or whatnot so i have to know mm -hmm. like what is it about destiny specifically destiny 2 that like is is the immediate like go-to for you oh um it was actually my first first person shooter okay it was the first first person shooter i played uh it was destiny 1 i came in Around Christmas of 2014, Mm -hmm. uh, I came in with the Dark Below expansion. I was a quote-unquote Christmas noob, as it were. And then for the next next nine years, I would take a few different breaks, a few different uh, points in time where I wouldn't play Destiny or would play a lot of Destiny, um, depending on how I felt about multiplayer games at the time, because that shifted a lot. Destiny was the beginning of getting into a multiplayer game phase, which I got out of in like 2017 and started playing games that didn't make me hate playing games. Uh, <laughs> looking at you, Overwatch and Rainbow <laughs> Six Siege. Um, no shade to those games. You're allowed to play them. But fuck, don't ask me to do it with you. you uh, I, Overwatch, maybe I, I these days, maybe I'd be down for a game or two, but I can't stay on for like... 10 hours right. up we gotta do something else um but so yeah i ha- i came in pretty early to the destiny thing some people will hold it over your head they're like i played the beta i played the destiny one beta i i know more than it's like dude it's been nine fucking years dog. <laughs> did you also witness the last supper or something too like what what's your problem man like we get it you saw old shit a lot of people have seen a lot of old shit. Like, it doesn't make your opinion more valid. You just said this gun shouldn't be able to shoot. You're a dumbass. What? 
I'm sorry. The Destiny community is very weird. Uh, no, I, I can only imagine. I'm just sorry. I love the whole entire, like, were you there at the Last Supper, like, comparison right there. <laughs> I was there. I saw Judas say that stuff. I, I have, I had my suspicions, but that, that Jesus fellow, he didn't listen. <laughs> I was told to take him off of that cross. <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. I shouldn't have said that. No, we should. We no, no, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Anyway. <laughs> but nevertheless, Destiny 2, that is your answer. You're locking that in. Yeah, I guess, like, um, and then if I have one more thing yeah, as no, well. I'll, I'll allow it. Go on. Well, because you said the, the you got, oh, oh, wait, it's or. It's not and. But again. It's I, or. I, okay. Also, again, okay. No, I'll, no, I'll abide by the question. No, no, no. I, I'm very loose with this stuff. So, again, if you have something else, just go ahead and say it, Pinch. <laughs> I was almost, for some reason, I was almost thinking of, um, I, I don't know why this movie popped into my mind at this, uh, and it's the Wojcicki's Speed Racer. Oh, okay. okay. That movie goes so hard. That movie <laughs> goes insane. I feel like I could watch it once every three days and it'd be like a new experience all over again. I mean, I guess maybe the only the only thing is that it might expedite my 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 descent process because of the the that the stupid sections in the way they put with the kid and the monkey. I fucking hate that those parts. <laughs> I mean, every other scene, every other frame of that movie though goes fucking crazy, and I adore it. I was saying, I mean, to be fair, like some people said that, like you know, it's silly and ridiculous, and to them, I say, have you watched the original Speed Racer? Right. I think it's actually yeah. like fairly accurate, all things considered. <laughs> It is. I'll give him that. But, like, I also don't like that part of the original Speed Racer. Like, it's it's just... It, it, just because it's here now and it's accurate doesn't make it good. It's right. like, you did something faithfully, but what you faithfully did was stupid. Like, I don't <laughs> like it. It was not... Okay, I'm being harsh. That's It's an artistic choice. It's a... It's... I, it's just not for me. And I, you know, I'm. I don't want to be inflammatory. You can enjoy what you want to enjoy, but to me, I would have taken one more race over all of the scenes with that kid and the monkey. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So I mean, like, obviously, that you were saying that's the part that you know you don't like about. So what do you like about the movie that makes you want to like take it all? Oh, what do I? <laughs> what do I like about Speed Racer? Uh, it's eye candy. Yeah, uh, fair it enough. is. It is eye candy. Uh, from a compositional perspective, like like in terms of just like film composition, it's really really impressive what they managed to do, mm -hmm. because they do kind of break a bit of convention, but also like really really use it to their advantage, um, so as to cut things in and out of itself. They're the only pe the the Wojcicki's the, the Wojcicki sisters are the only people who I've ever seen with this film do flashbacks in such a cool way, where like. It feels like a mental process. Like Speed Racer feels like a, a a recollection of a story. It doesn't feel like a story happening, and that's what's really really sick about it to me. Is it's mile a minute. It has uh, each of its scenes are electric in multiple different ways. It has saturation that could make your eyes bleed. It's like it, it does so many things that it shouldn't do. Right? It, it shouldn't do, but it does it anyway. And it pops off because of it. And I, I fucking love Speed Racer so much. It, it's a goddamn shame that it got put between Iron Man and The Dark Knight at the box office <laughs> in 2008 uh, that summer. 
right? So the summer blockbusters, two of which were like kind of grittier, more realistic versions or versions of different beloved characters. And then there was one version of a beloved well, American audiences, mostly beloved character uh, that got marketed to shit. It had like $13 million in, in uh, yeah. marketing budget, if I remember correctly. Everyone saw it everywhere. Everyone was fucking sick of seeing him. Um, and then it was also the movie that it was like it wasn't like people weren't ready for speed racer and that's a goddamn shame it is a shame i'm so glad i let you have that second choice because that enthusiasm you have for it that's the stuff that i crave that's exactly why i gotta watch <laughs> this movie again tonight i guess there you go there you go but <laughs> now destiny 2 and 2008 speed racer those mm-hmm. are your answers you're locking that in I think I think that would keep me occupied for a good while. Yeah. If that's the case, I cannot think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Nathan Ragland. Uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, or follow whatever audio streaming platform you prefer. Uh, check out the brand new merch shop that we opened. Check the links in the description below. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Postmodern Art Pod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> They are a VTubing raccoon stealing hearts and arts with a love for art history and video game OSTs on full display live from their bunker. Welcome to the podcast, Pinch Raccoon. Hello. I hadn't thought of that. Hearts and arts. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> you are more. You no, know, than- it's, it's interesting. I'm taking that. No, I am taking that. I was going to say, yeah, no, you take it, please. I, I thought that yeah. and I'm like, Pinch better use it after I say it. Yeah, uh- <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> how are you doing today pinch i am i am doing swell good. i'm doing great good uh with that i mean thank you so much once again for taking the time to be here i greatly do appreciate it um like i like i said earlier i don't know if i'll include it or not i guess we'll see but again i've been paying attention to yourself for a good bit especially after mm-hmm. you know you first became aware of my stuff in the first place and i'm grateful yeah. that i've had opportunities to interact with you in more ways that we'll definitely talk about later on but before really divulge to the stuff you're doing nowadays i want to go back just a little bit and learn more or less the origin story of pinch what got you interested in art in the first place i suppose i've just kind of always been interested in it okay and there there's been people throughout my life who i will not go into a lot of detail about but i was in close proximity to a number of picture framers uh for a good deal of early life and that meant that i would sit in the picture framing shop sometimes when i don't know i guess i wasn't doing anything else uh and just kind of watch them work occasionally and what would come through was honestly sometimes shit that i probably shouldn't have seen uh (laughs) but um what I ended up seeing was a lot of like really, really beautiful and thought provoking art, even as a, a, a younger person than I am today. Uh, so, and then also just being allowed to wander through this because it was connected to this place. It's like a big, um, almost like a museum, but also like a giant warehouse where a bunch of artists work and store their work. Okay. Um, so being allowed to just kind of wander through there for free, like because I was, you know, I was in with the band, if you will, um, and see the weirdest shit. Like just the weird. Like it was, it was. 
I'm pretty sure I got so much exposure to data that the first time I saw, uh, you know, the urinal for, that's like the the number one data piece, I was like, no, that's normal. That's completely <laughs> normal. This is, yeah, absolutely. No, this is. What, what do you mean? This, people people think this is an art. What are you insane? What are you insane? I saw a random just chunk of a prosthetic arm lying on the ground. Yeah, that's that. That's a that's art. How is this not art? Like, yeah. Um, so I suppose I was kind of, uh, I was kind of born into it in a way. Okay. Uh, I can't pinpoint a moment where I was like, <gasps> I've also never exactly been the best visual artist. I've never been excellent at making it. But what I've always loved about it was extracting what other people meant. Uh, because it is, it, there's a quote from Edward Hopper that I came to know recently. Mm -hmm. um, he said, if you could express it in words, you wouldn't need to paint it. Um, and what I take that to mean is that there is there there are certain forms of expression. There are certain ideas that you cannot and will not be able to express with words, right. uh, which is you know is exactly what he said. But what that means is that there is knowledge to be gained. There is an experience to be understood. There is emotional intimacy to be had in visual medium uh and that shows through in a lot of art and that's what i that's kind of part of what i love about it is that it provides you such and this is speaking for all art necessary not, not even necessarily just visual but i suppose uh visual is like a good jumping off point for it right Mo uh movies uh or, or, or paintings i guess is the way painting sculptures that sort of thing is the jumping off point movies uh uh, music, video games, all sorts of things have so many interesting ways to make you feel the same thing that the developer felt right. at a point in time they're intending to put in. It's like speaking another language. Some people fall in love with math because they find it to be a universal language. I fall in love with the multiple millions of different ways that people subtly try to influence you into feeling what they felt. Um, and of course, that's not always what art intends to do. It intends to do multiple different things. But this is one particularly beautiful instance that I keep coming back to as to why I love art. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's something that you and I can both easily relate to. Because in fact, that we both love and appreciate art in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. different manners. I mean, for you, hearing that you've basically been, like I said, raised and almost indoctrinated in, in this whole entire, like, art field in the first place is actually really impressive and, like, cool to hear the fact that you kind of grew up around this stuff. Like, I am mm -hmm. nothing short of impressed to know that, like, th that exposure has always kind of been there. And even to a point where it's still, like, a part of you to this day, learning all this stuff, and, like, especially hearing the quote that you were talking about with Hopper, you know, like, you'll understand how much I relate to that quote, just thinking about mm -hmm. it. Like, right. It, 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 like it's something that you wouldn't think about, but like, especially with all the forms of art, especially the ones that you considered art, you know, what some people would just consider media or whatnot. That is a perfect illustration of art. Like that's wonderfully worded. Mm. If I do say so myself, I mean, <laughs> if I've said something that you agree with and you think is poignant already, I think I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I knew you were, I figured the conversation we were going to have was going to be a, a interesting and fairly intellectual one when it comes to the art, because I mean, I know, like, especially hearing like how you kind of grew up around that art, 
which I didn't even know beforehand, but like, especially how you've been able to express it nowadays with the stuff you're doing nowadays. I knew we were going to have like a good conversation about that stuff. And I did just want to go back just a little bit talking about like the Dada that you were talking about and such, especially like the urinal, which is that legendary yeah. piece. I am personally a huge fan of Marcel Duchamp's as well. Um, mm-hmm. And like, especially because <laughs> in high school, I was given an assignment to where like we were going to like a museum later that year and like, for that class, we were going to do research on the artists and like make our own like clay versions of their masterpieces and stuff. So mm-hmm. I made, I made like the, the bicycle seat on uh, the bicycle wheel on top of a stool, like as a coaster, I made the, the, the classic, like just wall with windows that he did. Mm-hmm. I made that as like, it's a, like a clay tray. Looking back, it doesn't look great, but I was proud of it <laughs> to the point. To and where as long as, as long as you're proud of it in the moment, as long as you, as long as you think that it's, well, we can loop back to this. I want to. I want to let you finish your point. Well, gonna, this did give me a thought to to jump from. If and, you, oh yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say like the last little thing is I I did want to say is obviously like again later that year we went to the museum, which was like one of the biggest museums around where I lived, where they brought in like some of his work and like one of his pieces, one of my personal favorite pieces, just because of how simple it is, was the the shovel. If you remember mm-hmm. that piece, where he just grabbed, went to a local hardware store grabbed the shovel, signed his name on it, put it on a string, hung it from the ceiling and called it art. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, if that was his intent, some people are more elaborate. Some people aren't. Exactly. If a feeling is simple, sometimes it's more elaborate. It's, it's, it's inherently paradoxical. And I think that's what, that this is getting off of the point that I actually uh, had before. <laughs> Art is inherently paradoxical. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I try to push in my content to a certain degree is that there is no correct answer as to what art is. You can be an absolutist, which, which is more or less what I am, and which is to say everything is art. You can say nothing is art. You can say that art is a... But I don't think, personally, my personal opinion is that you're not allowed to say that art is... That you can't you have to like gatekeep what specifically yeah. is and isn't art because that kind of gets into a little bit of territory that some specific types of people we don't like tried to do in 1940 uh we don't like that don't no, do that no, you should not like that. Like, i'm just saying i'm just saying i'm not calling you one of them but what i'm saying is that if you look at a rothgo and you're like that's not art i mean you're saying the same you have the same take about it that a certain blonde-haired, blue-eyed fellow from Germany did in 1940. Like, I'm just saying, it's, I'm not calling you one, <laughs> but it's maybe not someone I'd like to share a take with. <laughs> I say, we're, not, we're not calling you that, but we are saying fuck those guys, and you don't want to be those guys that we say fuck those guys. You don't want to be lumped in, right? Like, <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a topic we could go on about. The the Gallery of Degenerate Art in yeah. in... Uh, you know where Germany is. Uh, whoops! The YouTube video just got muted. Just got demonetized. I, I, Tough. I, I can I I could easily just put a quickly like just literally cut it out, or I could censor it if I really cared enough. And just say like, <laughs> Germany, like you have like a text to speech. Germany, Germany. <laughs> no, um, no it, it'll be like in you know where Germany, like some yeah. some, some ridiculous like yeah. Okay, um, yeah, but the, the Gallery of Degenerate Art is something that we could go on about for a very long time, and I've been wanting to make content about it for a while, Okay, um, because it aligns very particularly with this kind of point of discussion. Um, yeah, Which that's I, kind of my... 
Go on. Yeah, art is art. There is no right way. There is no right answer. That's how art is. That's how emotions are. And I think if I think to a certain degree, the lack of a bit like remember, you know the fucking thing that people were always would say the curtains were blue. Uh that mean it meant that the curtains were blue. Well, they don't mean anything. It's just that the curtains are blue. That's what. That's what that means. I hate you. I fucking <laughs> hate you. People, artists make decisions for a reason. Right. They wouldn't write the curtains were blue if they didn't mean something by that. I I think I I do legitimately think I think I, there there is a certain degree of um uh like a lack of emotion like emotional maturity that a lot of people have uh, and I think part of that is from the popular narrative that you don't always need to take something from art like you you don't always need to but you kind of should yeah. like that's the point of it it's people telling you how they feel listen. <laughs> And maybe you'll know how you feel and be able to express it better. Because now with these poignant different ways, maybe you can say it in a way that makes sense to you. Like, you know, you know, the uh, I actually, okay, this is going to sound weird. You know, that he's just like me for real, for real ph phenomenon. Yes. Like the, I know the, exactly the, the Ryan, the Ryan Gosling phenomenon <laughs> where people like dudes will look at the guy from drive and be like, he's just like me. I actually really appreciate that culture okay. because I think that it's a practice in something that is good for you. Now, do I always agree with the characters who they're doing this with? No, no. but I think that I think that looking at the vulnerabilities of specific characters, uh, particularly like you know the the guy from Drive and other Ryan Gosling characters is a good thing if you relate to the vulnerabilities of a character that is exhibiting a degree of emotional vulnerability mm -hmm. in art it's practice for being able to talk to people in a way that is earnest and genuine and that is that is one of the most beautiful practical instances of art and i think that like ugh, oh you got me talking now good good i <laughs> you want to talk talking it's now. a podcast um, I, I expect talking <laughs> yeah no, I will get as hoity-toity as you want, uh, but I think that art is so important, not just because it is the cultural record of people, but it, because it is also legitimately good for you. It is good for you to consume art. It expands your mind. Honestly, arguably, more so than intellectual pursuit, some might say. Uh, and that's not to diminish intellectual pursuit. Intellectual pursuit is really helpful. People have, you know, there's doctors and uh, various other, you know, extremely engineers, uh, mechanics, all sorts of very important professions that exist more or less on the basis that people figured out how to build shit and figure out how things work. And that's not necessarily tied to art. And that's fine. I don't I don't want to claim those under the this is not the STEM camp. Like STEM is important too. Right, but right. I find it annoying that people will focus so hard on what is deemed profitable or deemed immediately understandable as valuable because it will immediately be like, oh well you can like save a life with this in a way, but it's like, like, yes, that's very, very important. That's very important. I would never diminish that, but that's not too, it's not a zero sum game. Art is also important. Mm -hmm. uh, and that and it annoys me that there seems to be such a, 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 a disconnect there. And that's not necessarily to say, I think that I will, I, I, I believe that I will be met with a lot of people who agree with me in this case, 
I don't think that there are many people on the staunch other side as I am maybe portraying my belief to be. Right. Um, and I hope that I'm right in this case, in this specific part, that, that I'm that I'm wrong. I hope that I'm right. I hope I'm right that I'm overblowing the issue. But I think it's nice sometimes, I think it's a good idea sometimes to remind oneself about what is important about what you do in the day to day. Right, right. Like at, at the very least, like, you know, like you were saying, you're not diminishing, obviously, like the stems. You're not like downgrading, like how important the stems are. But in the reverse, those same people shouldn't be downgrading the importance of art in the first place. Like, you know. yeah, which they fucking do. <laughs> Defunding art programs. How about I kill you? There you hold go. On. In Minecraft. About, hold on. In Minecraft. In Minecraft. In Minecraft. <laughs> In Roblox, in Fortnite, <laughs> in Fortnite, in Fortnite creative mode. There you go. Uh, <laughs> in Minesweeper. In Minesweeper. Competitive Minesweeper. Competitive Minesweeper. But yeah, no, like, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, it, it, back to your point, like, obviously you're making very good points when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, and like, you especially taking your time nowadays to express that importance when it comes to art, wherever you can, like, that's something that I truly love and appreciate about you. Like, just the, the love you exude for art, especially, like, art history. Like, do you think part of that was because, again, you kind of grew up around art, so it made you love and appreciate it more? Or was there, like, something else that, like, made you want to, like, truly invest yourself fully when it comes to, like, art and the history of art and the importance of art? I think it's maybe a little bit of both. Okay. Um, because I became really invested in history, the study of history for a while. Um, pursued it to certain degrees. It has, it, it did what it did. And um, ultimately, what I got out of it was I knew a lot of, I knew a fair amount of things, right? And, I, and I'm still interested in history yeah. to this day. Um, but I find that yeah, I found my my interest in history and my interest in art kind of converging because you know look at that well the words are the it's the two words are the things that I like but it's a topic that has literally both those words yep. art history are you kidding me <laughs> um, does it get a little weird sometimes yeah uh, because especially when you look at like was Edward Hopper an Ashcan artist student or was he not? Like he didn't actually go to this one niche school in Philadelphia, but he, you know, he, he kind of paints sort of like these gentlemen. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, like, like, I guess not. Like, like, I guess he is, but he isn't like he's painting similarly. It's like, Oh, it's within the movement. Maybe he saw some of that. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. He called himself an impressionist. Fuck it. He's an impressionist. I don't care. Um, I like art history on the, uh, interpersonal level. I've always liked history on the interpersonal level as it were. Um, kind of, these stories of artists and, and kind of ways to contextualize their work to better understand it, I suppose. That's kind of where I I hop off a little bit. Like, of course, it's important within specific movements because there's some people who are painters for the point of being painters. Like, uh, and that's not necessarily to diminish their work or, or anything like that. But like, Edgar Degas was an artist's artist. That dude loved being an artist. And he certainly, uh, he was in France. He lived in Paris, uh, Pelly, as it were. Uh, and uh, he like, was very, very ingrained in the art scene there. Uh, so the post-impressionist and impressionist movements were kind of something he was consistently exposed to. So it's important to uh, research that when you're doing that. So it's obviously I'm not saying like, ugh, pointless. I don't think anything is pointless. Uh, if I, if I, if I, 
express a preference from this point forward. I, I want so I can shorthand this. If I express a preference to something, this is not to say that the other thing holds no value uh, or less value. There is a case by case basis in all things. And to say otherwise is disingenuous. They're trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, in the in so to to get back to the point, I suppose um, I really like art history because it helps you contextualize the art, uh, and so I just always liked art. I or, or maybe like in a hidden way, partially, but I was like I've, I'd always been familiar with art, and I'd always been and I became familiar with history, uh, and then the marrying of the two uh, just worked really well for me. It was nice, uh, and so that's now where my current love of it manifests in 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 this. I, I mean, I'm glad it certainly manifested into what I'm being presented these days. Or whatnot, yeah. you, like I said before, like you've done like a really good job contextualizing this stuff for you know audiences and such, and you've done a really good job like really bring, showcasing that love and appreciation for some of the people, not just for the art and the artists themselves, like the context for them, but like also sometimes the context for the history at the time. Like mm-hmm. a, a good example for me that I can think of right off the top of my head is you know the recent art stream that you did, which was with Edward Hopper talking about <laughs> like some of the the certain ways they painted some of the certain subject matters, like really illustrating like what the the time and the vibe was at you know for the Mm -hmm. that he was painting and such like you do do a really i think you could easily agree to this but like art does a great job not just providing context for the artist but providing a context for the setting and the situation for whatever that artist is dealing with both personally Mm -hmm. and externally absolutely absolutely um to discuss edward hopper further and at this point i think you might just want to put nighthawks on the screen (laughs) at this point um but (laughs) So to discuss the man further, the piece Nighthawks by Edward Hopper uh, perfectly encapsulates the feeling of urban loneliness. The, the idea that you can still be, and of course, loneliness is a kind of diminishing way to to, to refer to his work. It's not entirely lonely. Some people see it as very freeing. Some people see it as jovial. Some people see it as extremely cozy. A lot of people see it a lot of different ways, and that's fine, right? That's great. Um, that's, that's, that's excellent. I'm actually really, really happy that people see it in a lot of different ways, because that means that they aren't made sad by looking by looking at it. And that's one of the other really cool things is that even if the artist intends something, they, people don't always get that out of it. So that's cool to me. Um, that mistranslation, it's neat. Um, but anyway, Nighthawks, uh, too many describes urban loneliness. The idea that you can be in a room with other people. You could be in the busiest place on earth Mm -hmm. and you can still be completely alone somehow. Um, And whether like, like, and it perfectly encapsulates, uh, I'm saying that a lot. It, it, it works to demonstrate the feeling of New York city at the time. Um, Of course, Hopper didn't give a shit. Uh, he like didn't even listen to the drills or whatever, being like, "Uh oh, what if people bomb New York?" He's just like, "I don't fucking care. I'll keep my light on and I'll keep doing my thing." Uh, when everyone else had their lights off and we're like hunkering down and panicking, because uh, it was like a mere few weeks after the the bombing of Pearl Harbor that that piece was uh, published. So it's funny that he didn't give a shit, but then uh, the way that it is interpreted can be emblematic in some way of how everyone else in New York City felt at the time, that uh, they were to be afraid. They were to hunker down and be afraid. 
uh, and be alone and, and fearful. And that's that's one of the neat things about about his work in this case. So yeah, this is um to get back to the point of art providing context for history, not just history uh, providing context for art. That's uh that that's something to to look at there. You can also look at propaganda. That's yep. a another very that's art. Uh, is it is it pretty on the nose about what it wants you to do? Yeah, but it's it's still art. Uh, it's good warm up if you need to get looking into some other more esoteric stuff, and you're like, okay, let's just run through World War II real quick. What's America want me to do? All right, enlist in the <laughs> army. All right, what's Germany want me to do? All right, listen, enlist in the army. Okay, cool, and then go do whatever else you got to do. Like it's still art, and it still has a very very significant historical uh, footprint. Uh, but yes. Yeah, that's the. I, before I uh, saunter on through this conversation, <laughs> through this topic more and uh, muddy thesis. Uh, yes, I think it's really neat how that happens and it's interesting to examine. And that's why I do it once a month uh, on my art streams. I mean, that it's certainly, like I said, like just hearing you, like just going on, especially like how you interpret the stuff and how the stuff, like, and obviously how it was obviously initially interpreted interpreted that's the stuff that i love i crave that like more than anything else was there a like whenever you decide to do some of these art streams and again we'll, we'll talk about just your streams in general in a second but whenever you decide to do these art streams or whenever you just decide to get involved with investing yourself in art history was there a particular artist or just like a particular story that like drew you into thinking about that in the first place that like made you realize i want to learn more about people like this That is an interesting question. Hmm. <clears throat> um. In some ways, there's there's a there is an answer, but there also is. Okay. There's a few answers okay. that I could feasibly give you, but I can't, in a hundred percent certainty, say yes. This is the this is the truth of the matter. There's Van Gogh. His tortured story is uh, always compelling and always heartbreaking every time. Yep. Um, there's Georgia O'Keeffe, who I find to be a really interesting American artist uh, who paints a lot of really cool shit, uh, so much so that I incorporated it into the character in a certain way. Ooh. You'll see it's right up. Uh, can you point to it? It's up in the corner right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think Music I Thinking Blue number two. Yep. It's next to Ophelia, if you're familiar. Um, the one that doesn't look like a person. Anyway, uh, like those two are both answers I could totally give you on this because I, I love both of those artists and I think that they're both uh, extremely compelling in their own ways and in their own stories. Uh, there's also, like, and even, you know, looking at any other Da Vinci, Hokusai, looking at uh, the suprematist artists, that's not like a... That's like the that's the Russian art movement from from the early 20th century. I just I want to point out whenever I say suprematist, people get like, what the, what are you saying? What are you what are you praising? I promise it's not anything bad. <laughs> it just sounds bad. The word supremacy has a has a negative context these days. Oh, yeah. So I just want to I just want to I wish to I wish to uh, <laughs> I wish to clarify quickly. Right. Um, right. Anyway, Picasso, Picasso is an interesting story. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also there's a million there's a million like smaller artists as well who are really really neat, but I guess uh, part of it knowing a lot of artists when I was you know in my uh, in my younger years 
means that I kind of always saw artists as just kind of people who were okay. weird. And, you know, delving into the weirdness of people was neat to me. Uh, so it was a fam there's a familiarity to it in that, like, I always sort of knew that, like, a, a specific amount of information. Uh, and, and I guess because I had the interpersonal connection to begin with, I sought that kind of same interpersonal connection in looking into art history, uh, because I find that to be compelling towards seeing what the work means. Okay. For, to them, uh, at least. Right, right. Because I'll still make my own take on it to begin with, but if I'm way off mark, then... Oh well, I, I'll I'll keep that in my back pocket that they can tell me what they what they think about it. I mean, to be fair, I, I imagine you're probably you know in a way like those artists that you have say before. It's one of those like your interpretation of this stuff is also based on your own personal experience around art in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I can understand like not only like growing up and seeing like these artists express themselves, but just seeing like understanding like looking through like the history of all these other artists you know like all the different struggles that they personally gone through i can understand how it, it is kind of like the collective like learning about everyone in general like it's hard to really pinpoint a single one to think wow their life is interesting because to be fair all their lives are interesting <laughs> yeah that's why they're famous artists yeah. is they people thought that their uh emotional expression was cool enough and thought provoking enough to be like, I will pay a fuck ton of money for this and I will put it in the museum <laughs> there you go. forever. Uh, <laughs> Which, so yeah, they're, they gotta be all a little weird. No, absolutely. But like, it also leads me <laughs> to another question. Like, obviously like you've immersed yourself when it comes to this kind of stuff and like learning about all these different artists, <clears throat> is there a particular artist that whenever you were learning about them was like the most interesting for you or the one that you didn't expect to like really intrigue you the way that they did with how they uh, developed their art and such. Hmm. <clears throat> um, let me find his name. I'm, one second. Okay. Uh, there's, I, I recently went through and categorized my folders of, uh, of art and whatnot. There's, he's, Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. So he's not Russian, he's Ukrainian. <clears throat> but uh he lived in he lived in what is now Ukraine at a point, at least partially. So Anatoly Fomenko okay. is a very peculiar man. Because he has some pretty cool looking art, I'll admit. That's very influenced. He's a mathematician, okay. and he's um, he is very influenced by that, and he's attempting to, in some ways, express or uh, put to use the mathematics that he uses. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, that's neat. Oh wow, I w that that's some cool art, guy. That's so that's neat. You got a lot of cool perspective. You got some weird color. You got some dark color palettes. Some interesting brushwork. Like, that's neat. Uh, wow, so so cool. Let me look this guy up on Wikipedia. Okay. Fomenko is responsible for a alternate history account that claims that like next to nothing happened uh, in it uh, and everything was mashed together the last like 2000 years and that nothing happened before that really or, or that, that's not even that's not a necessarily a perfect demonstration of how his uh, theory of alternate history works, but he's got a fucking whack job theory of alternate <laughs> history. Let me pull it up. Hold on, because now I'm. It's like you had me. You you had me curious. Like oh, he's like a normal artist and stuff. You had me in the first half. Like 
instead. <laughs> Anatoly Fomenko. Here we go. So on his Wikipedia, I have his Wikipedia up right now just for quick re reference, right? Uh, so his, his <laughs> the way it works, there's top biography, mathematical work, historical revisionism, and then artwork. <laughs> <laughs> Fomenko is one of authors uh, is one of the authors of a concept that manipulates historical chronology. It is known as new chronology. Fomenko claims that he has discovered that many historical events do not correspond mathematically with the dates on which they are supposed to have occurred. He asserts that uh, he asserts from this that all of ancient history, including the history of Greece, Rome, and Egypt, is just a reflection of events that occurred in the Middle Ages. And that all of Chinese and Arab history are fabrications of 17th and 18th century Jesuits. <laughs> he also claims that Jesus lived in the 12th century AD, was crucified on Joshua's Hill, that the Trojan War and the Crusades were the same historical event, that Genghis Khan and the Mongols were actually Russians. And that the lands west of the 13 colonies that now constitute the American West and Middle West were part of a far eastern part of Siberian American Empire prior to its disintegration in 1775 and many other theories that contradict the radiocarbon, uh, the, the, the many other theories that contradict the conventional historiography. As well as disputing written chronologies, Flamenco also disputes scientific dating techniques such as dendrochronology and radiocarbon dating. So it's just wild sometimes that you can look into a guy and then learn that he thought that the Mongols controlled uh, what wasn't part of the 13 colonies up until 1775. Like, how the fuck? Like, the rabbit hole you go down sometimes is so funny to me. And I just, I had to read that section of his Wikipedia out so I could properly demonstrate to you the degree of whack job shit that this guy is on he's he's not he's alive too that's, that's he's alive him, i guess <laughs> he's a man who's living i'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> look i'm not gonna lie when i asked that question I'm not saying, I, I'm not, that's not to say he should die I no obviously out. not obviously not <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I, I i was just gonna say look whenever i asked that question i didn't know what i expected but that was not one of the things I expected. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that when I went and looked them up. <laughs> now you know how I feel. <laughs> I got to get him on the podcast now. Um, <laughs> I don't believe he speaks English necessarily. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm probably going to cut this out, but I got to make this joke. I don't know which one he would be more likely to hop on. This podcast or InfoWars? Uh, <laughs> 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 Anyways, um. I, I am so intrigued with the history you and the knowledge you have of art history. It reminds me of another podcast that, or another guest that I previously had on the podcast and a guest that I sincerely want you to touch base with at some times. The guy's okay. name is Kyle Wood. He hosts a podcast called Who Arted. It's like Who Farted, but without the F. Oh, um, But it is a art history podcast that he mainly has set up, like, initially he had set up to, like, 
be a lesson for like because he was a teacher so like teaching his kids like all this like art history stuff but like has since kind of like evolved and grown it to where like it's still like art history but it's just like exploring all these different artists and such i sincerely want you to reach out to him at some point and i want you two to have like a podcast talk about whatever artists you can bring on and like just talk mm-hmm. about the cool history because i know you can bring some like interesting topics and such i've been on the podcast twice talking about like the regular like the first time i was on there i was talking about an artist named i Wei Wei, which i don't know if you have you ever heard of him before i don't believe i have he is no. a he is a chinese artist um that i believe is also still living today that really like likes to talk about like obviously the communism and the the government thing that goes on with china and stuff to where like it has got to a point where i'm pretty sure he like was either arrested in China for that kind of stuff or like as or cannot go to China because of the stuff he has said about it. Um the piece that we uh. talked the piece that we talked about is this interesting piece called Sunflowers to where he had a bunch of other people create these ceramic sunflower seeds and it's like thousands of them that he would like bring to like warehouses and such and have them just spread across like the the floor just like ex- like showing just kind of like like the unit like how everything is like all the like the the uniformity and like the the similarities and stuff like that like it's it's a really unique piece and then the second time I I went on we talked about the guy who won um is it cake <laughs> on Netflix um <laughs> <laughs> like it's it like seriously if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast who arted I sincerely think you would actually appreciate it with just how much art history he does bring on there and I think you mm. would be a wonderful guest with some of the knowledge you could bring as well as what Kyle already knows. Yeah, I just um, <clears throat> I just went and pulled it up. Neat, very neat. Yes, yes, very neat. I I, uh, I will be looking into to listen to this at some point soon. No, oh, please very do. Cool. It's a, it's a really good podcast, and like I said, Kyle does a really good job with it. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we've been talking about like the art history kind of stuff, and while you have been obviously seriously invested with that. Somehow you're able to find time to kick back, relax, and enjoy some stuff like video games and such. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to know, when did video games become an, an integral part of your life? Uh, it's real early. <laughs> uh, out of character. Out of character. Real early. One of my earliest memories. Out of character again. Uh, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Out of character. <laughs> my earliest memories is uh, playing Pokemon Leaf Green okay, on the enough. Game Boy Advance. Um legitimately it is one of the, it is one of the single most um consistent parts of of my life uh to say that it has been anything less than influential at the bare minimum is a a disservice to a, a lie let's just call it what it is a fucking <laughs> lie um no i am made the way i am because of the amount of video games that i played i think mm-hmm. I imagine part of that is obviously, you know, some of the some of the most integral and some of the most amazing franchises that are out there. You talked about Pokemon, but let, let's talk about the big one for you. You're, I know you're a big Sonic the Hedgehog fan. I am so, a big Sonic fan. I, see, what's interesting is that I, I think I, I think I get pegged a lot as a bigger Sonic fan than I am a Pokemon fan. That's not necessarily true. Yeah, that's actually. fair. That's fair. But, but I, I am very vocal about Sonic. <laughs> I think that's I think that's why people institute that more than the Pokemon yeah. thing more than anything else. But I I have to know like especially when it comes to like some of the early franchises, but like Sonic in particular, like what was it about series like that that like really like grabbed you in and like made you want to be a part of it? That is very interesting. Um, or that's a tough question to answer. Sonic, huh? Um, what what does make me love Sonic? Uh, okay. 
I can give you a more an answer that I kind of thought of more recently. Okay. Um, and it's actually a lot of the reason that why I like a lot of specific characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonic is someone who does exactly what he wishes to do, and it just so happens that what he wishes to do is to be a kind, nice person who helps people. That's really nice. I think that there's a certain degree of optimistic altruism that Sonic represents that just feels good to interact with. It feels good to be hyped about Sonic. You know what I mean? And that's why I think I let myself get my get my guard down about Sonic so frequently, uh, is because, uh, man, you, you can't help but love the guy a little bit. Yeah. He's just, he's, he, he as a character is doing his best because he wants to do his best. And that's sweet. And that's something that I think everyone can kind of look up toward a little bit. And I'm not saying I, t- I look at Sonic as a role model necessarily, but I think it's just like, it's something, it's something nice to look at in, in this troubled day and age. Like Sonic is uh, escapism to a certain degree for me. Um, I have a hard time actually making coherent, critical opinions on Sonic games. Uh, I remember a lot of people were really not into Sonic Frontiers for one reason or another. I fucking loved it because they talked about the other Sonic games. And I was like, (laughs) what? They canonized that? Uh, And and, like, I was, I felt like a fucking kid in a candy store uh, the whole time. You can, I have a VOD up of the first, when I got to the first boss, I like had tears in my eyes. It was fucking crazy. Uh, like, I don't know. I just have a really hard time critiquing Sonic actually. Like I can say, uh, I I'm capable of it, but it is harder for me because I hold a degree of love for it. That is that to where I'm just like, dude, this just feels good. It just feels good to do. Like I, I even didn't hate my time with shadow the hedgehog, despite having to be coerced with money to play it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's how most people would get invested in some of the Sonic franchises, some of the games in there. Yeah, I mean, right. Because, look, I think you can easily agree with me. As much as there are incredible Sonic games, there's no denying there are. There's a lot of dog shit. There's a lot of dog shit Sonic games. Dude, if you if you put me in a me in a room and you say the only way to get out is Sonic and the Secret Rings, I'm gonna I'm st- <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm getting out one way that isn't playing Sonic and the Secret Rings. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Oh goodness! But I mean, like even then, like yeah, I could easily like I agree with you when it comes to like just Sonic being like that that lovable character. Like you, like the fact that Sonic is probably one of the most like true to themselves character in all of gaming, maybe all of media mm-hmm. or whatnot. It's easy to like you know be on Sonic's side more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's and even even at his dumbest yeah. <laughs> and worst. Um, <clears throat> like Sonic's not even my favorite character from the Sonic series. Like okay. that's Shadow. I'll admit yeah. that's Shadow. You know, um, I could see that. I, I, yeah, I think it's yeah. Look at my <laughs> look at look at the color palette that I have here and say like you. Look at me and say that's not a weird edgy bitch. <laughs> Actually, no. The truth of the matter is that I'm a weird edgy bitch, and I like Shadow the Hedgehog because he's a weird edgy bastard. All right. Um. But Shadow's a lot more depth to him that I actually really, really like, that I that kind of gets squandered these days, and I'd really, really like if they wrote, wrote, him, wrote him correctly again. That'd be real nice. But anyway, um, like, it's hard not to... Like, Sonic is, is such a zeitgeist character, yeah. you know? 
it's he's <clears throat> something of an accepted factor within the gaming scene. Like Sonic will never stop ever. And I'm okay with that, honestly, because I like the guy. Because I think that like at its core, it has a really consistently positive theme, which is to say that like through your own action, you can do something yeah. about something. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's really bombastic and sometimes it's not. But like there's like like Sonic just has some real fucking banger lines sometimes about just like be true to yourself and do what you think is right and things will might work out for you. Like, there's a good shot. Or, like, oh my god, the line when Chip... I don't like Chip in Sonic Unleashed, and Sonic Unleashed has some weird dialogue, but the line where Chip is, like, he just realizes that he's like Gaia, and then he starts flying away, like, oh, um... I guess I, uh, you know, I guess our deal's done. I, I have my memory back. You don't really need to help me anymore. And then he starts flying off. And Sonic, you know, reaches out with his fucking goofy werehog arm and catches him. <laughs> He's like, but but isn't our deal but isn't our deal done? And then Sonic's like, do I need a reason to help out a friend? It's like, that's so sweet. It's very that's sweet. so sweet. He's just a good guy. And it's weird. Sega has managed to make a character that I like so much as a person to the point where I'm willing to put up with them making bad games consistently <laughs> with him. However, in Sonic Forces, that's fucking unforgivable. That thing, that thing is a steaming pile of ass. That I fucking hate that game. <laughs> I figured, I figured the one you would immediately <laughs> jump to was was the one everyone jumps to, and that's Sonic 06. But I think again, that's like beating a dead horse at this point. Oh, you know what's interesting about 06? I've been recently playing some of Project 06 off stream, okay, just to see if I do want to stream it at some point, just to see if my PC can handle it. Um, Project 06 demonstrates that Sonic of Six could have been a good game. Oh, like, it could have been if they just finished it. There, like, uh, I'm sorry, there is no denying that Sonic 06 could have been a good game, but due to people forces... People do deny it. But, 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 <laughs> but due to forces that, you know, like, for example, trying to institute a crunch for a certain anniversary that came up whenever yep, they could have... anniversary of Sonic. Whenever yep. they could have, you know, done something like figure out how to re-release a game or delay it or something along the lines of that, you can easily see why it failed. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. No, it failed and it should have failed because corporate fucked it over. Exactly. Uh, it failed and it's the product that it is because of the fact that it got. Uh, oh, here, here's a discussion. I can feel this one coming on. <laughs> Art under money constraint. Oh, baby. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, Sonic 06 got fucked over and that's why it's a fucking awful game. People don't always uh, equate it to being a game that they f that got fucked over. People. I, I remember back in the day on YouTube, I remember gaming YouTube a while ago was very, uh, let's say preoccupied with being funny mm -hmm. as opposed to preoccupied with being right, right. Uh, or giving anything, any degree of artistic, um, merit. Uh, so the popular narrative that to, to a, to a degree is still, still popular is that sonic 06 is a irredeemable game it is absolutely not an irredeemable game it right. got redeemed they just put out all the levels or, or not they but someone the the developer of project 06 just put out all the levels but they're to the normal sonic standard and i'll tell you what it feels good it feels solid mm -hmm. there's some things that are wrong with it because it's a Sonic game, right. like I'm gonna, I'll level with you. None of them are perfect. 
under any means. They figured out a formula and they've not been able to do it right for forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a game that is that had potential. And that's and but people don't seem to want to give it that time of day that it had potential. And that's what's kind of annoying to me. But Sonic Forces, however, <laughs> fucking spit in my face at that point. Three hours long, not a damn thing happens. Yep. Sonic gets tortured in prison, and then he's like, <laughs> whoa, here we go. Like, where, where's the character depth? Where's anything? Con fucking comic Sonic would not be like, whoa, after being tortured in prison. <laughs> Why is Shadow acting like that? Why does Knuckles look at a whole platoon of people getting wiped out and be like, oh man, time to make a pun about eggs or something. Like, what's happening? The tonal inconsistency, the gameplay inconsistency. There's so many things about Sonic Forces that make it just an unenjoyable experience. It's annoying. It's an annoying nothing burger of a game. I hate the term nothing burger. I despise the term nothing burger. But I'm willing to call Sonic Forces a nothing burger. It manages to somehow do every single thing that the Sonic series has ever done, but did it worse and more hollow than anything else could have possibly imagined. It barely works. The classic Sonic levels are equivalent to walking on Legos. The uh, the, the levels where you play as the OC. Hold on, hold on. Can we talk about them <laughs> making a game where you could make a Sonic OC and then play as the Sonic OC in a self-insert my best friend is Sonic the Hedgehog story. Can we talk about that? I was gonna Sega, bring that. I was gonna bring that up as the, the as the. <laughs> Sega is out of their fucking minds. Hilarious. I want to point out that is the funniest part of that game. But also playing as that little shit fucking hurts. So you know what? It, whoops. <laughs> you could also have a, have them have a hat that says gamer on it. <laughs> That's uh, that's something else about Sonic Forces. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a three hour long romp through reused. Oh my goodness, reused assets and reused story concepts from other better games that uh, just falls flat and is incredibly boring. Like, on, listen, if you get something out of Sonic, I guess the music's fine, but the music's always fine. Yep. People are like, so bad as Sonic Force. It's like, yeah, so is every fucking Sonic game, dude. Shadow the Hedgehog is a banger soundtrack and is arguably a worse game. It is more tedious somehow than Sonic Forces. Uh, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that it is a worse game than Sonic Forces. I'd argue it's actually slightly better, but it's still not good. <laughs> but it's got a good soundtrack. Also, the, the menus that the menus in Shadow the Hedgehog have gun sound effects, like gun firing sound effects for every every button press and that is that that gives it at least an entire letter grade up for me that shit's hilarious every single time i go back to the menu so i can reselect so i can do the next out of the 10 runs i have to do to get the true ending and then it's, <laughs> and it's the loudest gun sound effect you've ever heard in your entire life and it knocks you on your ass it's great uh, anyway where was i i <laughs> i actually where was i um i got feeling about sonic forces that game blows. Okay, <clears throat> but so it, I do find as much as as much as you might not under as much as you'd be like, what pinch? How can you say this? Like you just you just went off on a tangent about hating Sonic Forces and giving 
inflammatory perhaps, but also, you know, critiques you could back up where you provided the time to do so. Um, which uh, admittedly I have been provided the time, but I also don't really necessarily think that the, the time that I have been gifted here on the postmodern art podcast should be used to exclusively, <laughs> uh, de deconstruct a game. I don't particularly like, um, but okay. Sonic frontiers. So I, Sonic frontiers, Sonic frontiers is a game filled with giant open, like masses of kind of nothing as levels with weird, like vague Sonic level shit in the sky. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't care. Like, that's the thing. I don't care in like a good way. Like, I don't care in the way of just like, I don't, I, uh, sure. Sonic's fast. Great. He's fast and goes, goes, does cool things. Sh fuck dude. I guess I'm in the cyberspace levels. They're like kind of hit or miss. All right. I'll, I'll do them. You know why? Because the whole time they're like, Hey Sonic, Remember that time in Sonic Unleashed when you did X, Y, or Z? Man, this conflict is really comparable to the Neo-Metal Sonic phenomenon, which is from Sonic Heroes, by the way. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Uh, like the entire time. I was so happy to hear them mention characters or oh my god and knuckles they redeemed knuckles they made him good for the first time in years they made him good for the first time in fucking ages they made him and sonic's rivalry cute again after ken pender sued and then they couldn't do shit for forever oh my god i i <laughs> So, okay, my love for Sonic from a character perspective makes it difficult for me to say bad things about it in the right. same way that other people say bad things about it, if that makes sense. Makes like, I'm willing to admit I'm willing to admit Sonic Frontiers flaws, but in a review that I make of Sonic Frontiers, I will not provide them the full weight because I don't care. I legitimately just don't care about the issues. I like Sonic and I like that guy and I like his silly little friends. And you know what? He put they put Sonic and his silly little friends in a good way in that game. F great game to me. Eight out of ten, at the very least. There they did go. do some weird shit in the gameplay that kept me from getting to those points as quickly as I might like. And they did some other weird shit. But also, oh my god, the boss fights were fucking crazy. <laughs> were sick. Oh, no. I okay. I, I have to stop myself. I've, I've, iterated, <laughs> I've iterated my point that I yeah. like Sonic Frontiers, despite the fact that Sonic Frontiers is a flawed game from a gameplay perspective. But because of the fact that I love Sonic, it is hard for me to always give that the same weight. <clears throat> I did not expect the discussion to go this way once again, but I'm glad the discussion went this way. <laughs> Just you wait till you say Pokemon. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really getting. <laughs> I look as someone that was a early fan of Pokemon and not really on board with some of the later stuff that I have wanted to or whatnot. I can see where there are some heated discussions there, to say the very least. But I mean, you go on. <laughs> okay, actually, I'll I'll say my Pokemon point really, really quickly because okay. it's actually pretty much the same thing as my Sonic 06 point. <clears throat> They're releasing them yearly. Mm -hmm. This is bad for them because the games are worse. Scarlet and Violet barely runs because it is an unfinished game. It is really fun to play, though, somehow. Uh, cool for it, but the performance is legitimately abysmal, genuinely unforgivable. And because they keep on putting them out yearly without any room in between, they have become worse games. Also, the Gen 4 remakes 
Look what they did to my boy. They massacred him. <laughs> they massacred my beloved, beloved Gen 4. They killed him. They, they, they took his guts out on the table, and then they did nothing with them. They just left it out. <laughs> like it, they, they handed it over to Ilkasoft because they couldn't make another game because they were already making Legends Arceus, but they were like, we still need another game this year. Like, no, no, just don't. Don't do that. Stop. Like The, the worst part, too, if they just didn't release Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl that year, they could have then, you know, they could have had uh, Legends Arceus. Or, or, okay, hold on. So, never mind. This is talking about, the, the, I'm getting the timeline, the ideal timeline of Pokemon uh, recently kind of mixed up here. What a lot of people have said, what I've seconded as well, is that if they just pushed Legends Arceus to the end of 2022, and then so that that game could be as good as possible, and then Scarlet and Violet to the end of this year, if it has to be, if it must be yearly, uh, we still would have had a Pokemon every year. Yeah. We had two Pokemon games last year. One was really pretty solid. The other was... Mm. Uh, and they could have both been better, provided they had the time. So in the same way that Sonic 06 gets fucked over by Sega for trying to get to the 15th anniversary... Uh, Pokemon gets fucked by the Pokemon company every single year because they're trying to hit a yearly deadline, sometimes double yearly deadline. It is legitimately concerning, and it is a it is highlighting an issue that I that, there's no way there isn't some workplace like fuckery going on in that place. Like oh, they, they, that has to be the worst place to Game Freak has got to be like you know you know like animation studios in Japan mm -hmm. how they're like oh you you get like dog shit per frame uh fuck you get a slap in the face every 10 frames and then that's your payment uh i, I have to imagine that that's what working at game freak is like not even necessarily because oh they're both japanese companies but because they have like 50 fucking people or something like 100 people or some shit and they make pokemon every year yeah it's it, uh, are these people paid well? Like, are they, I, I hope so. I, I hope they're paid at least halfway decently for the, the output that they have. I really want them to be paid well. Uh, I want shorter games that cost <laughs> that cost more. And I'm not joking. I, I, just, I don't remember the full quote. And look, <laughs> look, I was going to say, look, I don't know the full quote, but I did make a parody of that, that you, one saying that I want animators to be paid more to work less and tell their story to the fullest. And I'm not kidding, which you can buy at the merch shop right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a shirt. You can get that on a shirt. Yes, I did put it on a shirt and it looks absolutely gorgeous. I think it looks pretty good. I haven't seen that one. I think that looks good. I, I would, if I am considering a, a purchase from the Postmodern Art Podcast uh, uh, merch store in the near future, it might be that shirt, I think. If you don't, you know. Because that, like, that shirt hits. Good. I, <laughs> I'm glad. I want that shirt to hit as long as the art thief in you doesn't come in and you decide to just steal it. But <laughs> well, okay. If it's a friend, I only, I only take little tchotchkes from friends. Fair <laughs> not, not things they're charging for. There you go. There you go. Now, I did want to say, now, I think you and I could both agree that when it comes to both those franchises you talk about and with a lot of video games in general, but like with those two in particular, like you were talking about like the gameplays being, you know, hit or miss when it comes to certain things or whatnot, like the yearly release schedule and da 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 da. But we can at least agree the soundtracks, at least for both those series, are absolutely incredible. Like, oh, yeah. No, that's it's it's funny, actually, that 
I think I see the segue you're making. Well, the segue segue I'm at least going to make, because the big point I'll save when we talk about the streaming stuff in general, but I just want to at least know just in general, like what is it about like video game soundtracks that like creatively like just hits different for you? Ooh. Okay. Um, so I I don't want to be reductive to the way that I think about things, but I I do think there's a very, very common thread. There's a, there's one piece that is a common thread in the way that I consider a lot of, uh, a lot of media and a lot of pieces of media. And that is, uh, expression of emotion, right? Um, the unique challenge of video game music is to express a very specific emotion. It is called for at this specific point in time. It's the same kind of thing with movie scores, mm-hmm. actually. A lot of people really, really like listening to movie scores. I'm not necessarily that person. John Williams, great composer. I can't necessarily lis- listen to the Star Wars soundtrack all the time. Right. Still good music, though. Um, but anyway, what's really, really interesting about video game music to me is that it has to be listenable for a long period of time potentially it has to exhibit the point of the of the setting and the event occurring it has to do a lot of different shit in order to be effective as a element within a game because games it is a miracle we have games to begin with yeah uh, the number of things that have to go right between art teams sound teams design teams programming teams uh like these are all people who do completely different mediums and there are some people who are rock stars who can manage to do all of these things yes right pizza tower comes to mind and as a recent example uh toby fox his games come to mind um but they are few and far between uh you have to get a lot of people on board to make these things uh which is why you don't really always get people like uh, it, it sucks that I don't remember the dev of Pizza Tower's name right now. Uh, or you, you don't always get Toby Fox. is because it's fucking hard. It's fucking impossible, almost. Um, but, right, uh, that's one of the lovely things about video games to me, is that it is the most obviously, immediately, consistently enjoyable part of a game outside of actually playing it. Uh, like you can take the music out of it and listen to it and still enjoy it out of the game, out of the context of it. But you, what I think is really, really important about it and cool about it is that no matter what, it will always have been tailor made is bespoke to the game that it is in, uh, unless it was like taken just from some royalty free thing and then put in and then yeah. popularized because of it, at which point. Mm. <laughs> but otherwise like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I will say, uh, I you know, I I don't want to I don't want to misinterpret it. I like video game music. I don't unconditionally love video game music. Right. Um, there's a lot of soundtracks that I listen to every now and again, and I'm like, this is just this is the most generic orchestra I have yeah. ever heard in my entire yeah. life. Like, <laughs> like it's like, dude, I get it. Like, I'm sure the composition of this took a lot of time and I respect it. And it's like, it's good, but it's like, it's not exciting to me or interesting to me. And it's not because I'm some zoomer or whatever that needs 10 million synths and car crash sound effects in my music to be considered good or whatever. But like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just, it's a preference thing. Ultimately, it's that man. I would prefer to be listening to something maybe a little bit more, a little bit more immediately intriguing. And you know what? You know what? I really respect. You know what? You know what? A developer I really respect, which is not an unpopular opinion for the choice in music. Hideo Kojima. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. Hideo Kojima 
does music. I, I don't think he gets enough credit. I don't think he gets enough credit for doing the shit that he does with music. The snake eater scene? Yep. He had the balls <laughs> to take a scene where Snake climbs a fucking ladder for three minutes. <laughs> and I was like, the biggest banger you've ever heard in your entire life on this track. We're about to we're about to go crazy on this yep. track right yep. now. Um and that's that that's nuts. That's so cool. That's so cool. He does such a cool or oh my the Sins of the Father and Metal Gear Solid Five. Mm-hmm. Any of the music playing in Death Stranding, like I I haven't even played these games. All right, and I already I know how well he implements this shit. Because I went and I looked up the scenes because I wanted to be like, what the fuck is happening in the game? <laughs> this is crazy. so I went and I looked it up and I'm like, this is incredible. Um, but so yes, this is uh that's the <clears throat> I think Hideo Kojima does a, does an excellent job. Yeah. Um, even with some orchestral elements, it's because he puts a nice spin on it. Well, it's also because he was trying to do Bond stuff with. Metal Gear Solid Three, but yeah, like that's yeah, sure. that's, that's that's kind of a different thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But like even then, like with what you're with what you're talking about with like certain games or whatnot, like obviously like there are certain games that have like you know, I'm, I'll just say a basic orchestral like scores and stuff like that. But that's probably because it fit best for like certain situations yeah. for that game or whatnot. But meanwhile, like you were talking about like with what you know Kojima was doing, especially like Snake Eater, like you could listen to that song without any sort of context. It is still fucking literally banger. no context. It is still a literally. Fucking banger. <laughs> I think part of that comes down to Kojima's appreciation for film. Yes. Like if you look at how he makes games, it is very, very clear that he takes a lot of inspiration from film. Um, and again, like I said, I was trying to do a bond thing with that. And like, yeah, that's a bond song. That is, you could, you could play that over a bond intro and it would fit. So like, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting to see where the, the, the really highlighted points within game music come from if you will Mm -hmm. um in that it's interesting to me that a lot of highlights in in game music come from outside sources because video games is a self-referential medium like i don't i don't want to be mean it doesn't always work right super well it comes off cheesy a lot of the time it can Um, it certainly can and like because games are young games are young uh they're only about 50 years old to this point 60 ish if you count like the shit that like computer programmers made on the earliest of computers right um and at which point they didn't have music they're not in this discussion but (laughs) like by all means take inspiration from games but know that the games that you are taking inspiration from are taking are taking inspiration from other mediums right like, if you love Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, like I said, that's a Bond movie, <laughs> partially. No, it's, it's not that DNA. Uh, or like, oh, I love Star Fox. Go watch Star Trek. Go watch Star Wars. There's a reason. There's a reason that that is the way that it is. Um, and this isn't to say that taking inspiration from video games is bad. It is still really valuable media. And yes. through the dissemination of uh, of art and through artistic idea, you know, by playing these games and internalizing the way that these games communicate things, we see very clearly the evolution of them, right? Like mm-hmm. the way that people, one of the most intriguing things to be about games is 
the language of video games. Yes. Which is to say, telling a player what to do. So one of my favorite things, let's 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 bring it way back to basics. Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. has one of the single most genius points of game design immediately upon starting the game. Level 1-1. One, one. There is nothing. You are standing still. There is a Goomba walking towards you. If, if you do not move or jump, you will die. You will immediately be met with a fail state, mm-hmm. which means you have to try again. You have to try anything. If you move, you will see you cannot go to the right. You cannot run away. You, that's not something you can do in this game. So if you move left, the screen scrolls. It is the only way to make progress. Therefore, you will continue doing that because you have been positively, positively affirmed with doing that. I hate to be the one that says, but I think you got it flipped. It's one of those you gotta go right, you can't go left. Fuck, you're right. Fuck, you are right. <laughs> I had my right and my left mixed up. I'll say, I, I was looking to... on my screen. <laughs> I'll say, I hate to be that guy, but this is more no, you're right. talking about. No, here. I appreciate you. I appreciate, I appreciate you. Sorry, hold on. Whoopsie. You can't go left. You have to go right. So, I don't know. Maybe I was thinking it was like his right. I don't know. Um, you have to go right. You can't go left. If you go left, you die. If you go, If you go right, you maybe don't die. If you don't jump, you die. You have to jump. You have to move. You have to jump. That's what a platformer is. They summarize the game in five seconds. Yep. You can understand Super Mario Brothers within 20 seconds of opening the game. You can put it in and you can get it instantly. It's going to maybe take you a little bit longer to figure out sprinting and maybe figure out <clears throat> jump trajectory and whatnot. But the very core of it, you get now. Uh, and that is what, that's one of the most beautiful things about it is a video like, and so if we then move forward from that, how do Mario games now work? They do a lot of the same shit, actually. Yeah. Uh, one, one has been ripped off a million times. Uh, Sonic actually, notably actually doesn't do this. Um, Sonic just makes Sonic fucking look at you weird <laughs> if you don't do anything. So you're like, what, what's wrong, guy? What's like, what am I supposed to do? And he's uh, like, you can just kind of hear him in the back of your head, be like, fucking move, dipshit, or whatever. Like, you, <laughs> like, like, it's interesting to me the way that this that that the language of games has changed. Mm-hmm. Or another game, Breath of the Wild, yep. is one of the most ambitious incredible open world titles of all time and i think that it was probably the best open world game of all time and part of that is enticing the player with multiple different things to tell them what to do there is so much to do in breath of the wild but one particular example the koroks right the koroks just are represented by little weird things that don't quite seem right it's like oh this this rock is out of place let me put it back in place korok you are you are rewarded for exploring, and that is what Breath of the Wild is in, is inherently based on. I hate to bring up nothing but like Nintendo stuff about this because other developers do good shit too, and I yeah. don't want to be some like Nintendo diehard because believe me, those guys fucking suck sometimes. But Nintendo is wanna, the easiest. Nintendo is they the are easiest very. They are they are legitimately. Like, it is so easy because so many people take influence from Nintendo. Yep. Like, <clears throat> what are other really excellent examples of games teaching you to do stuff? Uh, Outer Wilds, uh, the, the the planets closer to you in that game, if you're familiar with the game Outer Wilds. Uh, the plan- So it's, a inter- it's an interplanetary space travel game where basically you have 21 minutes, I think it is, to figure out how to save the universe before the sun explodes. Uh, and you're in a time loop of this one 21 minutes right so you're getting your ship 
you go off and you do some shit and you know you're you're most likely to upon going in be like oh i'm gonna go to the planet closest to me probably the planet closest to you teaches you how to do shit it like lets you figure out like the looking mechanics and whatnot um or there's people who you can talk to on uh, there uh there or one really bad example example of what not to do final fantasy VIII's uh junction system is perhaps the worst explained system known to man. Uh, I think you could more aptly explain uh, nuclear fission than you could uh, the junction system, uh, especially for the way that they try to do it. They're like, cloud. Cloud is not the playable. Squall. <laughs> there you go. Squall. What if you t- fucking, you're going to take the guy, you're going to put it in the slot. And that's gonna let you use magic and shit, and th- and then okay, so so are you with me? Yeah, okay. So I'm, I have the guy equipped, right? It's like all the other. No, no, no. It's not like the other ones. It's not. What? Your stats are now different. Why? I don't know. Because we okay. Can. You're you're using spells as a consumable. What? <laughs> <laughs> Like and and Quistus, she tells you this all. She she gives you like fifty dialogue boxes telling you how the fuck to do anything. It, it, it is insane. But anyway, the way that games tell the player how to do things has always been has always really really intrigued me and been been one of my favorite parts about games. Um, because I, I don't like to be the person who who you know. There's there's an importance to story in games. I really like stories in games. Uh, what remains of Edith Finch? Fucking incredible game. Uh, absolutely. There's nothing but story pretty much in that game. Uh, I love that game. It is it, it is great. Uh, I love stories and games. But before there can be a story, there does kind of have to be a little bit of gameplay. Yeah. Walking simulators are not movies because you have to walk. That is it, right? There's a little bit of gameplay to be a game. Or, or dating sims, if you will. You have to at least press A in order to in, in order to maintain it there is a degree of gameplay and a degree of strategy or whatever that will constitute it and figuring out how to tell a player how to do that has been one of my favorite interesting things that is unique to games because the only is one of few mediums that requires the viewer the consumer to actually participate um I think that's neat. I think that's neat. So again, to the point of it is a miracle that games exist. Yep. <laughs> um, things like these require a degree of cohesion that is insane. Uh, and part of that is music, yep. right? Uh, maybe they, the game wants you to be courageous. So it might play some courageous music, like Shadow of the Colossus, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some bosses that are honestly, like they're, they're uh, if you play them with music and without music, uh, the whole vibe changes with with without music. You almost seem to hone in on the mechanic more, but with music, you kind of feel the fear of the of the giant creature, right. and that's cool. It's cool how music fundamentally changes the experience, and I think that that's what's most important about it. Uh, before I go in circles <laughs> countless times, please, uh, I, I'm I'm going to continue reiterating the point because I think that it is a truth. I do think I don't reiterate if I don't think it's a truth or until I talk myself into a corner. Um, 
I was going to say, allow me if I want, I want to expand on this point with just one little bit before I go on to my next subject. Because yeah. the, the thing is like, so you're talking about like, obviously like without music or whatnot, a scene can be like one way or another, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And even then, like with the shout out the clauses, like they could have played like something completely generic. They could have had just like, you know, monks, like, you know, all like during it. Yeah. Do whatever and it, they, yeah. yeah and, and it wouldn't have like the same kind of fear or whatnot to a point. And like, for me personally, the best example of music amplifying something even with or without needing it or whatnot is also from a series that you love sonic let's be honest oh. with let's be honest with ourselves here sonic adventures 2 i think you already know where oh. i'm going with this but like i might but like look the scene where you're going down the hill of a city with a truck chasing behind you did not need the most fucking banger like rock song oh, of all yeah. time but like and they changed the music for it too they <laughs> stopped playing city escape and play something else for that that's sick exactly they did not need to do that but the fact that they provide, they added that they did that little change up or whatnot makes it a more incredible and memorable experience more than anything else <laughs> oh yeah absolutely because then because then the whole the whole vibe changes like of course you know it's still fucking weird and bombastic in that you know you're being chased by a giant truck but now it's like oh shit we're going a mile a minute like city escape is like huh, no airline food no no in no no inflate movies i'm out of here like you're still like hell yeah sonic fuck yeah dude get the fuck out. They, they, they can't treat you like that uh but then you know there's like oh shit they are treating them they're there. They're trying to kill this fucking guy. God damn. <laughs> like, it, it serves to highlight the stakes of the game, kind of. As goofy as those stakes are. And in, in a way, it, it's kind of perfect yeah. in that way. It, they do something hilarious and stupid to highlight how hilarious and stupid this game's stakes are. But they still convince you of them nonetheless. Yeah. I think that's really what really, really sells that particular instance. Absolutely. Also, to marry the two topics we just talked about, Sonic and then this. Sonic Adventure 2 mm -hmm. has some of the most like distinct uh, style about music regarding specifically character themes. Yep. Um, Eggman's theme, for example, very much reminds me of Rush, The Who, a lot of like older, older rock, if you will. Sonic's theme is butt rock. <laughs> um, Shadow's theme has like techno elements in it. Uh, like very much like rave scene elements. Um, <laughs> Rouge has like sneaky bastard thief music that yeah. plays in all of her on all like all of her levels, and I think that's really yeah, that, that speaks to me in a certain way. Uh, Tails has a more hopeful version of the butt rock, like a like a more like hee hee kitty butt rock, and then uh, <laughs> who else is there's Knuckles. Knuckles having fucking dumb 90s rap <laughs> they call me knuckles unlike sonic i don't chuckle i'd rather flex my muscles oh <laughs> oh it's so funny oh to, to see how they to see how they um like like even, like through music uh it is expressing how adequately or how how sufficiently different these characters are even without the degree of characterization that they would need in order to like actually interact with one another, which is not something the story always provides. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of get a feel for how they all feel about each other based on how they all exist and how they are all presented. And that's really, really cool to me yeah. uh, that you can get that idea based on their character themes and stage music. Mm -hmm. It's, it's exactly. cool. 
it's cool. Music is cool. Music in games is really cool because really when is. you use it in the storytelling and gameplay element to sell a scene or sell a character, it hits that much harder because you're interacting with it in a way. And it's you're in that moment. You're in a moment in a game. And that's cool. That's And sometimes that moment is 500 hours long somehow. Uh, <laughs> but so oh, my <laughs> God. Hold on. I got one more example. Go for it. The end of Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, okay. There we go. When they play the track American Venom. Uh, and I won't spoil the game because it's the, it is the very end of Red Dead Redemption 2. I mean, it is the last mission. They play the most fucking sick track known to man at the beginning of that. And it's like, we're in this now. We're Cal. We're, like, like, we were already here. Oh, oh God. Oh, fuck. I'm thinking about Red Dead now. Red Dead does a great job. It does. Uh, Red Dead. I've only played Red Dead 2, admittedly. But Red Dead 2 does a fucking incredible job with their music. They have a whole section where Arthur Morgan just rides a horse to a song because it's thematically relevant. Yeah. It's fucking sick. Uh, but no, um, the, the, the scene, the Amer people who people listening who have played the end of Red Dead Redemption 2... We, on you know, the scene on the, the this level on the mountain, the last last level, American Venom, they will get they will get what I'm saying. Uh, that section, magnifique, there mostly because of the song. There you go. Hi, sorry to cut in right here, but I'm sure as you could probably tell, um, this was a pretty long conversation. Uh, so to make sure that I could upload this properly onto audio platforms, I had to cut this into two parts. Uh, you've reached the end of part one. I apologize if this seems abrupt and just out of the blue. If it helps you out, uh, I'd recommend going to the YouTube version because that is completely uncut. But for the audio version, this is the end of part one. You can go to part two now. Uh, it'll start with me just simply saying, hey, this is going to be part two, but it's still a good conversation. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy part two.